0: Yeah, no, I was, we, Dan and I were in a combined kindergarten, first grade class over in Cotati, California, in Sonoma County, where the three of us grew up there. <laughs> and so, and then, uh, and then we got to know uh, Chris in, in high school there at uh, Rancho Cotati High School in Runner Park, California. And, uh, and then Chris somehow uh, ended up like, you know, just like making his way all the way to Illinois, so <laughs> into the Midwest.
1: So that was not entirely my, my plan, yeah. Uh, I love California as much as anyone and mm-hmm. would have been happy to stay in Northern California, but I also didn't want to go to college where my family lived. So uh, originally we had been from the Midwest. We'd been from here in Bloomington Normal and uh, there was a, a school that would have me back here. So I thought, well, I get the best of both worlds. I moved back to uh, to a place where I've got some extended family. They'll give me some free food once in a while. And yet, my, my mom and dad cannot touch me. It's 2,000 miles away. And uh, six months after I came to school here, uh, dad got transferred back to town and they're like, hey, we're here. And my escape route was cut off and I have never gotten to leave.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is not one, not two, but three Springsteen fans. Uh, We are, pardon the pun, blood brothers, and I'm so excited that Chris, Daniel, and James are joining me. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Jesse. And uh, I am so excited. Uh, you guys reached out and said, hey, you know, would you mind if a couple of us joined on? And I went, no, I, I love when I have, you know, groups of friends. And so it's always great. So um, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, tell us a little about yourself uh, and then we'll go around the table.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, I work uh, for an insurance company out in the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere, and um, Wife, wife, daughter—we're about to take to college next week. Uh, let's see what else. That's exciting. It's not a lot exciting. I mean, you know, we've been—I—I I am fortunate to have a job that—that uh, that was not adversely affected for the last year. I've been able to stay at home and do my work, and and so, like I think uh, a lot of, a lot of office people, it's—we've been isolated from some of the really bad consequences that many people have had to face um so so i'd say i live a very uh, fortunate and blessed life out here um in in bloomington normal illinois other than the terrible weather
2: okay very nice and uh daniel dan what which, which one do you like? Yeah, to let's go with dan you? this is, okay, is an
3: informal little spring uh, all right team. yes, yes, so yes it is dan. so
2: dan how about yourself
3: well mr brown is fine too
0: yes indeed um, That's
3: your dad. Yeah, I'm Dan Brown. I'm a uh, sports writer and editor for The Athletic. Uh, I'm based in San Francisco. I write mostly about baseball, um, but I have never once in 20 years used the phrase, throw that speedball by you. But maybe someday I will.
1: I'm going to do do a search because I don't quite believe that. You know, I I I actually.
2: I, I had a guy on who did a column on that mm-hmm. about how, and he rewrote the lyrics. You know, he said, Hey, for you, Bruce, let me rewrite it and talk about it. That was a fun episode. And I guess recently someone said that I guess speedball was a term in classic baseball. So, yeah, yeah.
3: Joe Posnanski, who's one of the great sports writers in the country, and he happens to work with the athletic, me, yeah. is uh, he kind of deems that unforgivable, the uh, speedball usage, and said, Yes. Yeah. It, yes, it was an old term, but no, you can't use it for a 1980s song. Okay. So, I don't want to start on uh, too much controversy. No, right no, no, no that's good. That's, that's
2: okay.
3: <laughs> it's it's very nice.
2: Yeah. One of the local athletic guys broke uh, a big... I'm in DFW. Uh, the big Mavericks, you know, before mm-hmm. Car- Carlisle and uh, Donnie got uh, you know... Um, released so yeah um very very cool and for a while one of the local guys mike reiner was doing a podcast for you guys i think so so yeah very cool good 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 website
0: cool thank you very much
2: yeah all right so james
0: well i live here in sacramento california we've been quarantined here at the house for since march of last year and so it's my wife and i and our uh our 12-year-old and our two-year-old. And so we, you know, just like try to go and, and make do right now. I have my mother over watching the watching the two-year-old while my wife is running the uh, 12-year-old the soccer practice. And so, uh, yeah, pretty much um, your average middle class. Uh, well, we're not quite suburban. We're kind of urban since we're downtown Sacramento, but uh, almost like suburban uh, kind of family.
2: <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, uh very cool so hey,
3: jesse can i can i just add one thing yes please. After these little it's also important to know that we've known each other for a long long time oh, james
2: yeah. i met when i was in
0: kindergarten which would have been 1970 1970- 1974 for fall yeah. of 1974
2: yeah well that was my next segue is how yeah. did this friendship start so that's perfect so
0: hey, we've known chris since high school then
2: yeah so uh, go ahead james you start and then we'll have everyone else add in
0: Yeah, no, I was, Dan and I were in a combined kindergarten, first grade class over in Cotati, California, in Sonoma County, where the three of us grew up there. (laughs) And so, and then, uh, and then we got to know uh, Chris in in high school there at uh, Rancho Cotati High School in Runner Park, California. And, uh, and then Chris somehow uh, ended up like, you know, just like making his way all the way to Illinois. So, (laughs) into the Midwest.
1: So, that was not entirely my, my plan, yeah. Uh, i love california as much as anyone and mm-hmm. would have been happy to stay in northern california but i also didn't want to go to college where my family lived so uh originally we had been from the midwest we've been from here in bloomington normal and uh there was a, a school that would have me back here so i thought well i get the best of both worlds i moved back to uh to a place where i've got some extended family they'll give me some free food once in a while and yet my my mom and dad cannot touch me. It's two thousand miles away, and uh, six months after I came to school here, uh, Dad got transferred back to town, and they're like, "Hey, we're here," and my escape route was cut off, and I have never gotten to leave. Oh, okay, yeah, you, <laughs> you've left for 30, 40 years. Yeah, you,
0: you don't you don't have to scratch the uh, you know that deeply at California to find a Midwesterner. My dad was born <laughs> in Missouri, and Dad's Dan's dad was born in Iowa. So,
2: yeah, uh, Dan, anything to add?
3: No, I just one of those. Things. I mean, we were friends before. Right, James and I were friends since 1974. So Born to Run hadn't come out yet. We didn't also yeah. rock out to too much um, Springsteen in kindergarten. But yes, um, it certainly is. Uh, you know, we certainly had deep bonds and, and deep friendships beforehand. But yeah, you know, when we connect now, when we talk now, yeah, it's a little bit about families and a little bit about who's doing what. But man, we talk a lot about Bruce, and I think it's one of those things that um, you know the. ties that binds like we talk about Bruce as much now as we did back in you know high school
2: so let's start with you Dan how did you discover Bruce and what about him spoke to you and I'm going (laughs) to ask that to all of you so
3: yeah it's funny like I wish I had a much cooler uh you know oh I saw him in 78 um but the truth is I knew I knew Hungry Heart Uh, as a hit and kind of like Bruce and had nothing against him and then in the summer of 1984 Born in the USA explodes on the scene and this guy up on the zoom screen James May calls me up and I remember uh, I remember the phone call I remember where I was sitting and said I bought Born in the USA the the, every song on this album cuts it (laughs) and I don't know what cuts it meant to us in 1984 but apparently it was really cool and it was the highest possible compliment every song on this album cuts it and when James said that I knew I had to get the album and after that I was hooked and it was just I mean we'll get into like kind of what speaks to us I know kind of maybe later in the show but that was my aha moment <laughs> which by the way is not aha the band because he didn't call up and say buy that record but when James called and said, you have to get this record, I did, and it changed my life.
2: Very nice. Uh, James, how about you?
0: Well, I went pre-kindergarten. Uh, I actually was born in New York City and lived in Weehawken, New Jersey. And that's actually where I was, right? I was newly arrived in California when I met Dan, and but not that I knew anything about Bruce Springsteen then either. But I did have older cousins, in uh, you know the New York, New Jersey metro area there that were really into them and they would like to come and visit in California quite a bit. I'm sure Dan remembers my cousin Irma and like you know, and possibly even my uh, her older sisters Irene and Heidi. And they would come uh, to California and they would like, you know, bring these Bruce Springsteen records. And I'm all like, wow, this is like really, really good stuff. And then once I was uh, home from school, like maybe when I was in the uh, seventh grade, And um, while I was, uh, you know, you know, and then while I was homesick that day, I uh, heard Hungry Heart on the radio from KFRC from San Francisco. And I'm like, oh, this is the Bruce Springsteen that my cousins have been talking about. And, uh, you know, and it just really stuck with me. And uh, it just was just, you know, and it just, you know, and, and I thought about it, but I still didn't get really into it until like I heard Dancing in the Dark. I was a sophomore in high school. And I was just looking for something, I guess, you know, at that age, you know, like a lot of people are and to kind of stumble into Bruce then. And I'm all like it just all of a sudden came all together, like, you know, what my cousins have been listening to and hearing Hungry Heart on the radio. And like when I was in junior high and suddenly it just became like, you know, an obsession for me. And, you know, I, I called Dan, as he you know, he said and, you know, and some other friends, too. And I just said, you've got to listen to this. Yeah, I just became an evangelist for Bruce like right then. That's, that's awesome. So Chris, how about you?
1: Um, right around the same time, born in the USA. Um, I, I had probably less, uh, less idea of who Bruce Springsteen was before that than, than even what Dan was talking about. I, I had heard hungry heart, but I kind of filed it with that sort of roots rock, Bob Seger, you know, classic rock stuff and paid a whole lot of attention or, or probably couldn't have named who, who sang it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Born in the USA came out, and I, I you, you guys may have to correct me because my timelines are sometimes not uh, what they could be. But I, I did not buy the album; I taped it, and there's, there's a connection to James here. I taped it off of Brendan Murphy.
0: Yeah, and Brendan no, I had, the, Brendan had the tape.
1: <laughs> he had the cassette, and um, I think this was right. But we, we were—I I met Brendan at high school, that first year, freshman year, doing uh, doing school plays. And, um, I will remember he had that and he was into uh, red hot chili peppers and he would, he would have these tapes on him all the time, like up, uplift mofo party plan and all this stuff. But, uh, but he was super into born in the USA. And so I taped it off him. And, um, not only did I like it, but like my mom was like, this is great. Um, and so it had the, there's not as much of, of what you'd call like mon, monoculture anymore, where every, you know, people from, from eight to 80 might listen to the same record. Like uh, the last one I can remember maybe would be um, Hootie and the Blowfish or something where, well, everybody that year had that album. Well, everybody in 1984, it seems like had Born in the USA. And, and so to get back to why that's important, I could play it in the car on a road trip with with uh, my folks and stuff, and they would let me do it. So right. anytime I could find an album that everybody that they would like, let me listen to on the car stereo. It was like, well, this is great. You know, then now I can, I can enjoy something. I don't have to get stuck with God Don
0: Williams or whatever they wanted to listen to. By, by the way, I just had dinner with Brendan Murphy and his family on uh, my family. We had our families get together on Saturday night and I told him about this and he was very jealous. So.
2: <laughs> oh, we should well tell him that next time he can join. You yeah. know what, what I find interesting and, there, there is a fraction of Springsteen fandom that kind of hold their nose about Born in the USA, you know, and how it perhaps not as aged as well. And, and, you know, it's the popular, but I, I think you're giving it short shift that it was the gateway drug, you know, for many, many people. Um, and, you know, you can talk all you want about darkness and born to run. And, uh, he, but, you know, born in the USA, became, you know, catapulted him to worldwide stardom. And I do think it's funny that if he was another act, right, he would on a live show, you would hear almost every song from that album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he does... Two or three at the most. You know, it's kind of interesting.
1: You know, we talked the the three of us. I know had had brought this subject up within the last year, where we were sort of it to 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 just digress briefly on on the way our group chat goes. It seems like one of us will think of something about Bruce, and feel the need to run to the group chat and just throw this out there. Okay. And one of us threw. I don't remember who, but somebody threw out something about Born in the USA, and so we were just we were like doing exactly what you talk about revisit a little bit and and thinking it over and it, it was sort of like I think I think one of the thoughts that came up was looking at it as a part of the whole uh, catalog it seems like a little bit of an outlier even not just not just because it's produced with sort of 80s and has that that gloss and and the big drum sound and all of those things but it it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound much like the river and the river came out very, very, you know, not, not long before that. And the songwriting just feels a little different. There's something that's a little less, I remember the word I might've used in the chat, but there, there's an ethnicity about Springsteen up to the river that I sense not being from the East coast. I feel that New York and I feel that New Jersey Italian sort of, especially in the river i don't feel that on born in the usa it was more white bread almost and and maybe that helped it be successful but but we also talked about the fact that yeah that you don't hear as many of the songs in concert and when you do they're a little bit different yeah. a little tweaked the versions that he plays now are are farther away from the album versions and i just wondered i don't know much about the process. And I've read books, but I forget everything I read. But I wondered whether the process to making Born in the USA differed enough that maybe the songwriting process or the recording process or something made it less of a the band playing together and more of a built piece by piece that's not as easy to replicate in a concert.
2: So Dan, James, I'll get your thoughts in just a minute. But a couple things that you made me think of. One, Uh, You know, little Stephen has said that if Bruce wanted to be, he had the capacity to be one of the best pop, you know, music writers in the industry. And when he talked about like that, when The Promise came out, you know, when that box set. And I do think that if you read Peter Carlin's um, biography that, you know, after the river, he did Nebraska. And then the record company was like, oh, okay. And then then it was almost then when he brought them the tapes for Born in USA, they were like, oh, this is more like it. And they they immediately heard that there were hits. Um, on Quorum, yeah. you know, the website where people post questions because they're too lazy to go to Google. Um, sure. someone said, you know, why did Bruce do a different, why did he not duplicate the success of Born in the USA on further albums? And my answer was, if you think about it, he, he very seldom repeats himself. that mm-hmm. the, the river, you know, Born to Run is different than Darkness, which is different than the river, which is different than Born to then Tunnel of Love. And it, even on, you know, um, Wrecking Ball, and you know, "Letter to You" and "Western Stars" — three of his last four albums, all very unique. Um, James, anything to add?
0: Yeah, actually, I have yeah, quite a bit. Actually Good, please. There. Here there we go. Things I can think of off the top of my head. I hope I can remember all three points and everything. But the first one is is that, you know, I think that's true though of a lot of artists. I want to just kind of address the idea of like you know, uh, suddenly being, you know, no one wanting to admit that they uh, came to an artist like through their most popular album, you know, it's just like some sort of a band of uh, badge of, you know, true fandom that they you know, came on when they were like less popular or something like that. And then, you know, just like, and they're always, you know, embarrassed, like, you know, I mean, you see that with like you know, other bands, like off the top of my head, like, you know, no one wanted to admit like, you know, they were, you know, drawn in the 90s REM, like as opposed to 80s REM or, you know, or something like that, or they became fans of U2 during like the Joshua Tree or, you know, or countless other examples of that, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I, when when you're 16 years old, and you're looking for something, you know, different, as I said, and suddenly you hear something, you know, that's catchy on the radio, you know, there's something that really goes and speaks to you. I don't think that that's such a bad thing. Or, you know, the fact that, you know, there's an album that he came out with that had like, you know, such a, you know, a wide scope that brought you into like, you know, the other parts of his career. I mean, you know, and it's so funny, because like, you know, that's something, you know, you think that you wouldn't worry about after you're like, 18 20 years old or something it's all but i know i'm 53 now and it's only been recently that i've been able to admit like yeah born in the usa might be my favorite bruce album <laughs> yeah, which is like because it's great i mean it really has like oh you know i mean you know a lot you know a lot of you know elements that you know just like are, are true to springsteen i don't think that he compromised his vision you know as much as i you know love like you know i mean you know i mean all of his albums from like You know from greetings you know through tunnel of love i just consider like almost all like perfect you know but you know there's something about born in the usa i do think that's special and i think that that's you know you know i don't think there's anything you know wrong with saying that i saw that movie blinded by the light i don't know if you guys have seen that you know and and it's just like in about you know and that kid's experience i mean it was funny he was like you know the kid was uh this you know son of pakistani immigrants coming to England and, you know, just like, but his like relation kind of like to Bruce's music, like through Born in the USA, actually like, you know, kind of like really rang true, you know, in terms of like fandom for me. I mean, I saw like, you know, even though I like I'm a white kid from Sonoma County, California like you know I was all like yeah no I I really get that I really understand like why you know just like it was all so relatable and everything and so you know and I think there was a you know big moment my mother you know is from from Germany I have cousins in Germany and they you know all had copies of Born in the USA when I would go over there you know and so it was this nice little kind of universal uh, album that we could all go and talk you know talk to um, you know, then the other one of the other points, I just want to say here, I don't want to take too much time here, but no, no, I don't know you're good. Yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, also, you know, talk about when you talk about like, you know, the, some of the pop stuff that he was writing, like with the promise and everything, you know, it's just like, you know, he was, you know, which also kind of continued on to some of the songs that were like on, you know, the ties that that bind, you know, and the problem is, is I think that sometimes Bruce is a little too stringent of an editor you know with some of his stuff because i think he's like a little bit too worried about like being you know compromising an artistic vision for something you know but you know you know unfortunately sometimes i think it is led him to make like a, you know some bad decisions or well, i wouldn't say like bad decisions but you know when you hear like some of the songs that are on the ties that bind and i'm all like wait you had that available to you like you know versus like some of the lesser songs on the river i mean i'm not going to you know mention any Ames crush right. on you or something like that, right? And yeah. everything, I'm all like, like, wait, you couldn't put party lights on instead of crush on you or something like that. And so he's, you know, the problem is, is, I think that, you know, he's got like such a, you know, such a fear sometimes of his own, you know, you know, songwriting, you know, prowess that, you know, that sometimes I, I think he's been like a little bit too careful with, uh, you know, what he's released, you know? I mean, I think he could have really come up with a, you know, an album, another album around that time and not compromise his vision.
2: You know, um, when little Steven and Southside Johnny were with him on one of the Sirius XM uh, shows, I I can't remember which song, but you know, I I think it was Johnny said, how did this song not get on an album? How have you not officially released this song? You know, and and I think there's plenty of songs we could do that. By the way, um, the next time you watch Blinded by the Light, um, I I ended up reading the book that it's the movies based on and the scene where he is at immigration uh, you know in Jersey actually Mm -hmm. happened but um, it actually happened after 9-11 oh wow and so the writer was in line nervous and the guy working you know because it's 9-11 he's Pakistani and you know there's all this tension and he and it, it basically was the same dialogue in the movie what are you here for well I'm here to go see you know Bruce Springsteen's birthplace and I can and he the guy said like cannot think of a better reason and just smiled and like go and get on and he said it was and I just thought that was pretty special it was a great scene in the movie but to think about the you know all the the tension of 9-11, everything good. Dan, I hadn't forgot you. So, born in the USA, you know. Yeah. Well, first of all, that,
3: that question, how did you become a Springsteen fan? It made me, give me a flashback to the oldest I've ever felt. Is what, yeah. I was at a Springsteen concert and chatting with a young woman next to me and said, how did you become a Springsteen fan? And she said, oh, I saw the wrestler. And I thought, <laughs> I am so old.
2: Yes. That yeah. is greatness.
3: Um, but I think it was your phrase when you talked about born in the USA as a gateway drug yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of it for me because I got hooked and if you think about it, it kind of get hooked in a weird way because here it's 1984, I'm 14 and here's this hyper masculine guy with a flag on the cover, blue jeans, blue jeans and a t-shirt and um, you know the, this um, this macho vibe, this masculine vibe well, I was really drawn to right because that's what you're, you're learning about manhood. you're 14 years old. And I was drawn to that and the songs were all kind of this, you know, singing about road trips and girls and 800 miles without seeing a cop and all this stuff. And so you get hooked in that way. And it wasn't until I got older and wiser and that I heard the pathos of those songs and the longing of those songs and the serious issues of those songs. So the gateway drug, cause you think you, you're injecting, you know, this hyper masculine thing and it is about masculinity, but it's just in a different, you know, Bruce is grown up version of masculinity and manhood is, is different. And I think that the songs are poppy, the songs were hits but they're still the brilliant uh, deep complexities in that songwriting. And I didn't hear it at 14, but I hear it at 51 and I think that um, I heard it when I bought the Springsteen album and loved it and then had to work backwards and go by Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town and like heard the evolution that led to this blockbuster record. And I think that's the same way with a lot of Bruce's records that you hear them at different stages of your life and you realize those songs mean different things at different times I and mean, he's older than us. So if he was writing from perspective that's older than us and was doing so at Born in the USA, Just, but I think it was just such a, you know, it seemed like a teen American anthem, you know, when it comes on the radio, but, and I guess there was some of that, but it wasn't all of that. You listen, you, I mean, you break out the liner notes and read the lyrics and you're, oh, that's what he's singing about. And I think for all, I mean, just to wrap up, I mean, for all of us, it's those, it's that songwriting that you just can't pry yourself away from, that's what the genius is.
2: Yeah, you'll hear people do covers of "Dancing in the Dark," and you realize what a complex song that mm-hmm. is. I mean, it it is a radio hit, and you know, and um, and and "Glory Days" is a little more uh, obvious about the story you're telling, but "Dancing in the Dark" is a little more. Oh, it's a fun little thing, and look, mm-hmm. Courtney Cox up there dancing, and you know, he's doing the Carlton, as someone made the joke, and but then when you get into the lyrics of dancing in the dark you go that's some deep crap i mean he's really talking about you know this this you know finding yourself and um you know same thing like cadillac ranch it's just a fun song about you know uh cars no this is about death and everything so um i remember once someone said tunnel of love you can't appreciate till you've had your heart broken a couple of times, or you've been through a, you've, you've been married for a while that there is, you, you see tunnel love through different views after, you know, some time in life and everything. So, yeah. Um, So let's go around. We'll start with you, James. How many times, uh, first off, let me preface this. I believe that it is unfair to judge people's fandoms by the amount of times they've seen Bruce live. Um, <laughs> and now, I did have just an episode. It has not gone out yet. Uh, but um, a guy was talking about he did not discover Bruce to like in 2005 or 2006. And so, you know, and I always preface the amount of times you've seen him is not a fair barometer of how big of fan you are. Economic situations, where you live, your age, all can go. So this guy's talking about he didn't see him till the first time till 2006. I'm like, oh, okay. How many times you've seen him? 84. I'm like, whoa. He, he said, he said, yeah. Um, He said, we now have a daughter and I go, maybe I should have put that money in a college fund or my 401k. He said, but I'm not going to regret it. He said, my wife and I, she became a fan and we just went all the time. So anyway, let's start with you, James. Uh, How many times have you seen him live and how many together?
0: Well, let's see. (laughs) I saw him for, I I actually have to count here. I I saw him first on the, uh, you know, just um, on the Tunnel of Love tour. Although I was tantalizingly during the Born in the USA tour, I flew into uh, Newark, New Jersey to go and visit my cousins who were living, you know, living in the Bronx, my aunt and uncle and my cousin uh, were living in the Bronx, like in this high rise there in the Bronx and they went and there was a concert that night at the old giant stadium there. And we were like in the traffic, and I mean my heart was just breaking because I really wanted to be there. And and he was doing like a you know, I mean a, a multiple show, a show set there. And so like the next morning they had a whole like it was all over the uh, New York City newspapers and everything they you know the whole thing with the Bruce and I was just you know like grabbed the newspaper from my uncle and was just reading it and just going oh my god and they even had like Bruce like they had a whole fashion breakdown on him and everything there and uh you know it's just like and I was just all like oh god I just want to you know, be able to see him and so finally like you know in 1987 I was finally old enough to make these decisions for myself and so I went to go see him with uh, the aforementioned Brendan Murphy. Um, you know just like on uh, you know just like on the Tunnel of love tour and then I saw him again with Brendan Murphy in 1992 and then on the with the other band tour. and then I saw him again in, with Dan in 1986 where we actually got to meet Bruce uh, backstage there and uh, you know Dan held it together much better than I did. I'll let Dan explain his uh, you know his, his conversation. Confirmed with them uh, better because i mean I'm, i'm sitting there and suddenly bruce is in front of me and i just say like you know and you know what do you say i mean it's bruce and he's standing like right there and so i you know i didn't really hold my cool together very well i just sat there and i just blurted out i'm all bruce i dedicated all of high school and college and all my life to you like since then and Bruce just kind of chuckled and said, well, I'm glad you made it. And then Dan ended up having a much more of conversation with him and he signed my ticket. And then I saw him again in uh, 2005, again with Dan. He and I both flew to Denver and saw him on the uh, Devils and Dust tour. And then so I saw him again in uh, 2008. And then I tried to get tickets for the River tour a few years ago, but... I mean, no matter how many times I tried to go and click those tickets were going to be sold out at the, at the local shows in Northern California.
3: All right. Very
2: and nice. That's it. Yeah. Uh, did you make it to Broadway?
0: no I have not actually but okay I do have a you know a friend here in Sacramento and she actually is going to go and, and fly back there in two weeks she's just decided like she's just told her husband and she goes I'm flying back there in two weeks and I'm going to go see Bruce on Broadway so like you know they came into a little bit of extra money and she said that's what I'm going to spend it on good for them yeah all right
2: so Dan how about you and I've you got to hear your version of meeting Bruce backstage. How did that happen, by the yeah. way?
3: Well, okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's just go to that story. Okay. My memory of James was it's pretty online, but it was the um, so it was 1996. I think he said 1986. It was
0: 1996. Oh, did I say that? I meant 96? Sorry.
3: Yeah, it was the um, Tom Joe tour when he was playing smaller venues and he played for us, I don't know, 3,000 seat theater in uh, Berkeley the Berkeley Community Theater and I hadn't seen James for a long time so we you know we saw the show show enjoyed the show and James says hey let's run around back and see Bruce leave in his limousine like we can watch him drive off and we'll go wave to him so we did that we hustled back and there's kind of a large crowd waiting to do the same thing and Bruce didn't come out Bruce didn't come out Bruce didn't come out and we hadn't seen each other for a long time so we didn't notice because we're just sitting there chatting and this large crowd that was waiting dissipated and became a much smaller crowd. What was happening is that Bruce was inside the theater doing a 60 Minutes interview with, I think it was with Ed Bradley.
0: It was with Ed Bradley, yeah. With Ed Bradley. So
3: was, he was he was occupied and he there was no um, signal or clue or message about when he was going to come out. And we kept waiting. And it was probably about one in the morning when his uh, security guard came out and said, here's how it's going to go. We're going to do autographs but you're all going to line up and you're going to get your autograph and you're going to get out like no chit-chatting, no story time, whatever. Get your autograph and get out. And we're like, this is great. Cause I don't know. There was probably, there were certainly less than 50 people there. So it wasn't a long line, but you, then you start thinking, okay, I'm going to have my 18 seconds with Bruce. What do you say in those 18 seconds? Cause they had security around him. Like you can see them whisking people away. Yeah. And um, yeah. I saw James walk up and I didn't, I, I didn't, the line I didn't remember wasn't, I dedicated high school to you. It was, you got me through high school, man. And then you okay. Hugged, okay. You got That's me through better. high school. And Bruce looked at you for a minute and goes, mm, mm, glad you made it.
1: Yeah.
3: And then, you know, it the the, um, it was the Tom Joe tour. And I had read uh, Grapes of Wrath in preparation for listening to the album again. I said, Hey man, I, I read, uh, I read Steinbeck because of you. Um. And we both agreed that it was a good book. And it was such a lame conversation that the security guard laughed. Like, yeah, that obscure Steinbeck sure wrote a good book there. Um, But I had the framed, you know, autograph ticket from that theater. And I think I can't imagine another scenario in which you could get a Springsteen autograph after the show just by standing on a street corner. Oh, and the one one cool thing I remember about that, um, by the way, is that Bruce came out and We knew Bruce was coming out and somebody had taken like chalk art. You see the street art where they chalk some, some mural or some words in a real flowing way. And they wrote in the sidewalk, you do heaven's work well, which I thought was awesome for a ghost of Tom Joad. So.
0: Yeah, and and I w- want to go and add to that actually I, I I feel bad after that powerful statement not giving you a second of silence there, right? And everything, but they <laughs> but uh but if you remember that uh you know Clarence Clemens walked out too
3: before. Oh, yeah. Bruce did.
0: yeah, Clarence walked out and so did Ed Bradley with a big cigar in his mouth there. Like they walked out like first before Bruce did actually, and everyone's all it's a big man and you know, because he was living um, in Nevada, I guess at the time in, in Marin County, so that's why he was at the at the show. And that's yeah. Then there's I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off on a tangent. No, no, that. you're good. Yeah, oh, I just,
2: yeah, go no, because
0: that, that's the thing is, I was surprised. Like over the years, like Bruce Springsteen, with all the New Jersey persona and everything, how much of a Bay Area connection <laughs> that he has had in his life. And it took me years to go and kind of you know discover that actually, you know, too. And I mean, I didn't know the full extent of it until I read his autobiography a few years ago too. And so like, I was all like, wow, like Bruce was like just tooling around, like, you know, like where I live, you know, <laughs> quite often. Uh, and to it. answer
3: the other part of the question, I've seen him 20 times. You know, and okay. as, a, as a segue, the first time I saw him was with our other guest tonight.
2: All right. So I, I've got some comments about that, but I want to give you a chance, Chris, share your uh yeah yeah and and do you have uh, did you, have you gotten to go backstage and meet him
1: uh not backstage okay. um i bought a ticket to the book signing
2: tour that's well that's a perfect segue so after you finish i'll tell my yeah. book stories
1: sorry for a long time i was very very jealous of these guys because they that was uh 96 tom jode and and i did not get my autograph until uh what was that 2013 maybe um that he did the book but um so that was a long time where, where I was very angry. Um, I think I've seen him 11 times after listening to one of your previous episodes, I went out to, to my boss time and, oh, good. Uh, and did all the entry. And so I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it coming out to 11 times. I think I, I saw him before these guys actually, because I did get to go to the born in the USA tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and I went to the uh, Oakland Coliseum uh, outdoor the A okay. the, the very... stadium, um, and I had the worst, the second to worst seats in the house. Uh, we were behind home plate and in the upper upper deck, and maybe two three rows from the top. So you could not get farther from the stage and still be in the uh, in the stadium. But nonetheless, uh, was incredible. I st- I will always get chills remembering the opening of those shows where it would, the lights would just come up on the immense flag behind the stage and uh, and that first sort of snare hit for born in the USA would come across just exactly what I was hoping to see. And and that was, I was hooked forever. Um, Dan mentioned the second show we went to on the Tunnel of Love tour in Mountain View. Um, I, I, I always remember that as being unusual in that um, up till then, every concert ticket I'd gotten had been go and stand outside the warehouse uh, where they had a bass outlet or Ticketmaster or whatever, whatever right. it was at the time, stand in line and get tickets to whatever concert I wanted to see down in Oakland. Um, this one was in the pink section of the Chronicle. An advertisement for the Bruce tour was coming in. If you wanted tickets to that, you had to cut out uh, a little coupon and uh, get a money order for 50 bucks, $25 per ticket. And send that to an address, and you would then be in some sort of drawing. And, and if you were lucky, they'd send you two tickets. And if you were unlucky, they'd send you your money order back. Oh. And um me and Mark Blair did that, uh both. And I got tickets and he didn't, but uh I screwed him over because then I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna use my other ticket for Dan. I hope you understand because <laughs> hey, Mark
3: Blair's not on this podcast.
1: Mark Mark yeah. was just Mark was not a huge Springsteen fan but we went right. to concerts a lot together and so we yeah. were the ones who were sort of in that but but once I had the tickets in hand I was like I cannot take
4: oh, I yeah, exactly. not take Dan
1: brown to this because um to fill in a little time I remember specifically after that born in the USA and we sort of like you know we played that to death and then Dan I remember you and I got the live 1975 to 85 which that really has sort of fallen into a black hole of memory now that there are so much live material available right. but at the time for somebody who just got into Bruce with born in the USA it really like served a purpose because you had this introduction to that whole live period and really good versions of yeah so many songs that that Sometimes Dan I remember you would uh, especially with Rosalita you'd go back and and as you said f- listen to the old album and and I remember you getting wild the innocent in the East street shuffle and listening to that and saying I really like the live version better yeah um but uh but yeah at any rate so so I I knew that Dan was into it we just we would know the live set backwards and forwards and quote the the in-between song banter to each other. If I was the judge, I'd find you guilty. Um, How funny! you know, you know that was going to get <laughs> thrown out in this. Yeah. Uh, but um, so so Dan and I went to to that show in Mountain View, and that turned out to be the show that was recorded for a bootleg called uh, "Roses and Broken Hearts," um, which I got a not a real copy of, but a, but a, someone burned a copy for me at one mm. point. But what a show that was! My. God, it was four hours, in, if you include the break, um, yeah. he by the end of the show he played he played little Latin Loopy Lou, and they were just vamping at the end because as he said to the crowd, we didn't we 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 haven't played this in so long. I don't know how it ends so they just vamped until he could think of what they wanted to play next and then they slammed into i don't i don't remember another cover i think yeah that's Um, funny after that and well you can go listen to the bootleg if you want i think it's on youtube as well but what just it was an incredible show um and uh i saw every tour until uh the seeger Sessions band Mm -hmm. I did not see the Seeger Sessions band I I skipped a couple after that they they weren't convenient Bloomington's equidistant between Chicago and St. Louis so it's a drive no matter what um if you want to see a big show like that um and then uh mostly I did get tickets to the River Tour okay um and saw that uh in St. Louis at uh Chaffetz Arena I'm not sure
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I want to add, I, I can't believe Please. that I forgot this. I, I actually, uh, there was a sixth time I did see Bruce Springsteen and that was on the uh, Amnesty International tour in 1988. Nice. There. Yeah. No. And I um you know, just like, and I, I, I interestingly enough, I was listening to his uh, worldwide broadcast driving through New Jersey. I was working in Philadelphia for the summer and I was driving through New Jersey to see my cousins in New York. And I was, uh, it was, he did a 4th of July Um, a show from Sweden where uh, it was broadcast around the world and I was listening to it on the radio and then he announced that he was going to you know have a show and so I saw him then later that fall when they came to the Oakland Coliseum and I remember sitting so close to the stage and by the way uh, you know that show was the show that showed he could do more than I think Bruce you know describes it as the white man's Boogaloo I think Chris uh, just called it like the Carlton but yeah but I was amazed at how well he could dance like standing like you know very close to the stage and I could see like his uh, fender it was all beat up and I remember I could see his teeth too actually like I was that close I mean it was the closest I, I had ever been at a show to um, you know Bruce and when Dan and I saw him the, uh, in 1996 on the uh, Ghost of uh, Tom Joad tour and everything we were fairly close too but at the Oakland Coliseum I was right up and then afterwards Joan Baez came out and they did a few songs together and he and he gave her a hug and you know just like it was just amazing they did like a short like one hour set but it was the most energetic E Street set I think I'd ever seen
2: yeah um so a couple things one I also did a book signing um I've told the story many times on the podcast but I'll keep it short um you know I'm driving from Dallas to Austin which is multiple hours. And the whole time I'm just rehearsing like, um, you know, uh, on the Godfather where Luca Brazza you know, is practicing what he's going to tell, yeah. you know, may, may they have a masculine child and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I'm just over I and over that, again. Man. What, yeah. what am I going to say? By the way, I was told by someone that that actually was not planned that the guy who played Luca Broxa was really worried about his lines. So he was doing that to make sure he didn't forget his lines and Coppola caught that and filmed it and then added it. At least that's that's, that's the story. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good enough story. We're going to believe it, right?
0: Oh, that's a, yeah, that's an awesome story.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, so my whole time was, you know, like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And, uh, you know, and it is this, you know, um, as I've said multiple times, I told him that the previous year I had spent nine months unemployed and land of hope and dreams and better days. I listened to, to get me through this. Whoa. And I just wanted to say thank you. And by the time I got to land next, so I don't know <laughs> if he heard it, but I've said multiple times, I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. You gotta you be quick,
1: Jesse. Gotta, yeah, you, you yeah you exactly. In and out. Yeah. I, uh. Since you mentioned that, I, I had that same experience. I, I remember um, it was a cold day. I was in Chicago and I was a, a, in line for a very, very long time out in the cold. And when we got inside, you, you wound through the Books a Million or wherever he right. was. And, and I remember coming around the bookcase where you could first see there he is. Yeah. And I, I got really emotional. Yeah. Um, more so than, than any concert I'd been at. It was just like, I'm, I'm going to meet him this is, yeah there he is i'm gonna meet him and um and i don't think before that i thought too much about it and i was like well what am i what am i gonna say i think uh that hey he had just received the um was it the presidential medal of okay. freedom whatever or, what he right received from,
2: kennedy uh, center uh, from honors from or
1: yeah um it, I, and and so i i was like well that's what maybe there's something that to that so when i got up there and i i just i said hey you know congratulations on on getting the medal like, oh thanks <laughs> and um and we, we he was gonna shake my hand and i went in <laughs> yeah got, got got a little bit of a hug he was cool and then we took a couple pictures that was it so there was yeah. no but uh I knew that I'd only have a couple words. So yeah. I was like, you know what? That's nice. I congratulate you on yeah. your accomplishments, sir. Well,
2: I uploaded in the chat the they they got two pictures of me, one facing and the other one where I'm talking to him and all my friends say that I'm saying something dirty to Bruce. Like, please <laughs> you know, right down. You know what, <laughs> what
1: I realized doing that was I had a I had an iPhone and they had yeah. just introduced that feature where the picture sometimes will like you get a little bit of video. Yeah. And yeah. so I just, I was like, Oh, sh-. I turned that on. I yeah. was like, they'll never know. So I have, I have like a GIF size uh, nice. of me meeting Bruce and going in for the hug, I can, oh, I can nice. piece it together with, with the very
2: nice. That That's they, very good. Unfortunately
0: um, no photographic evidence existed. Dan and <laughs> yeah. I <There> are no <laughs> cell phones there to, to take yeah, the exactly. Pictures. Yeah.
2: Um, any other stories from shows you guys want to share?
0: No, but I I wanted to to address another point that was kind of brought up earlier and everything else like that about born in the USA being being an outlier like, uh, you know, just like I I really think that the true outlier of Bruce's career and and I think he's tried to redo like there has been one, you know, kind of a certain theme or like you know musical theme that he's tried to redo and that's like with Nebraska right but I still think Nebraska stands out by itself I read a, a great thing I think I did I send it to you guys Chris or Dan the article about like Nebraska how it really kind of like uh you know just like it was almost like a, a musical cul-de-sac for him you know and he's tried to kind of like reconstruct it together later on with the ghost of Tom Joad and and uh, with devils and dust and everything, you know, which are both fine albums, but they're not Nebraska, you know. Right. I mean, it's just like, and I, you know, and it was really interesting that it's just, you know, you know that I think that, you know, if there is like a real outlier that, you know, that you know that he's had and everything, it's just like, I mean, it's different. I mean, I guess the Seeger Sessions too would also be like another outlier and everything. And I know that's divisive among our group here and everything too. So, you know, cause I personally loved the Seeker sessions. You know, I thought it was like, you know, cause I mean, I like that old, you know, kind of folk music tradition, you know, that yeah. that he had and everything, you know, and I think that was something you know completely different from you know Nebraska that's just like a bunch of friends getting together and you know at the time I was getting together with a bunch of friends and we were playing like old folk songs on like Friday nights and stuff and everything and and it had very much that same kind of kind of feeling was very like inspirational for you know for that kind of thing
2: we still have more to discuss with Daniel Chris and James But uh, because our discussion took so long, I'm breaking it up into two episodes. So come back tomorrow for the second half of our discussion. And uh, where they tell more stories. And of course, we get their answers to the Mary question. See you tomorrow. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation. And I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only and bruce and bruce is part of the southgate media podcast group the theme for and bruce was written by david rosen used by permission
4: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football